Grab your Bible tonight, turn to the book of Psalms tonight. Psalms chapter number 38 tonight. Psalms chapter 38. How many people get off tomorrow for Labor Day? Raise your hand. Good. So that means we can preach extra long tonight. Is that what you meant by the raise of your hand? <laughs> so you saying, no, I'm going to party all night. Amen. So anyway, I had them turn the air conditioning on in the gymnasium because usually on a holiday, there's several people over there. And so hopefully it'll be a little cooler over there as far as uh, tonight, if you end up playing over there tonight after the service. Psalm chapter 38, um, <clears throat> well, let me read our text and then we'll jump right into this tonight. Psalm 38, look down in verse number 17, Psalm 38, verse 17. It's a short verse, let's just read it together. Ready, begin. For I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. I wanted to talk on that, just that first phrase in verse 17. David made that statement for I'm ready to halt <clears throat> because of what happened before verse number 17, and then after verse 17 tells us the result of that decision. So we're gonna look at that tonight for just a little bit. I'm ready to halt. Father, thank you again for your word. Again, enlighten, help us tonight. Bless your people. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church family, David, uh, when we think of David, there are so many good things about David, but the only one thing that we think about uh, in a negative sense is his sin with Bathsheba. When we think about David, uh, the man after God's own heart, sweet psalmist of Israel, the man who killed Goliath. David was an amazing Bible character, but it seems like we always come back to that statement of except or because or for this one thing, and that was David's life. Now, a lot of the Psalms that we have, David, Psalm chapter 51, repenting of his sin before God. Uh, this particular chapter, it's not super clear, but it really gives the indication that it was the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba, the cause of this particular uh, psalm and its writing. Obviously, the Lord gave him the words to say here, but obviously the Lord used David and his personality and his life experience. And I want you to look at now Psalm 38. Let's just read a couple things here. In verse number 17, it's, he, David says, for I am ready to halt. Now, I want you to look at the title of the, this particular psalm. Uh, the unusual thing about this particular, the book of Psalms, is that the chapter divisions are, are divinely inspired because they were part of our, the canon of Scripture. So it's not like a reference Bible where they put this particular title. That was the title of this psalm uh, as given to us by God. Psalm 38 says, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. All right, so David is remembering some things in his life, and specifically he's remembering the sin in his life. And we always go back to the sin of Bathsheba. But look what he says about his sin. Look at verse number one now. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. I, I, these 16 verses in prior, you're going to see very clearly, David is going through a lot of chastisement for the sin that he had committed. If you're a child of God and you're saved, can I just tell you that he's going to spank you when you do wrong? We know that from the book of Proverbs, as well as from the book of Hebrews. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he what? He corrected, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. God chastens his own. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So God punishes us when we do wrong. By the way, you ought to thank God that you get punished. That means he loves you. All righty? And so God shows us that as far as when we sin. So David is going through all the things that God did to him because of his sin. Pick it up now in verse number three. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Now think of all these things. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, 
I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in, in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the distress, I'm sorry, of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I as a deaf man heard not and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me lest Otherwise, they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. Now say the first phrase, verse 17, together. For I am ready to halt. Now, I hope you saw all of those things, and I, sh I could have taken time to stop, but just, I want you to understand in each verse, there's no soundness, there's a feebleness. I've lost my strength. My lovers and friends have gone away from me. He goes through all of these things that are going on in his life, and he says, I'm ready to halt. I'm ready to stop what I'm doing. Because obviously what he was doing wasn't the right thing. That was what brought the chasing hand of God. Now, I meet a lot of Christians that they haven't gotten to that place in their life. Am, am, I, on, is that, am I on? Is it okay? Okay. So much. All right, forgive me for that. Y'all just looking at me like, is he talking or not talking? All right. You just had that look in your eye. I couldn't hear myself. Sorry about that. Cannot, we, there's a lot of Christians, back to where we were, there are a lot of Christians that in their life, they have not gotten to that place in life where they're ready to halt. The reason they're not there yet is God's not done with them. You think about this, David was not even, I should say David did not even recognize his sin until after the baby was born. So he commits adultery with Bathsheba and he thinks everything is fine and everything is not fine. You know, in our, in our life, God doesn't always put the hammer down when we think he's going to put the hammer down. Sometimes he, he gives it a little bit of time. But can I just tell you that if you're a child of God, God's going to spank you when you do wrong. And we all need to come to a place in our life where we're not willing to allow the sin to have the prevalence in our life. And I'm going to, I, I want to take you, for, for, I'm going to take just a few moments tonight in really way of review as well as instruction tonight of reminding us that it doesn't matter how big the sin is. You know, in Christian life, we think, well, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't killed anybody. And we think of, well, those are big sins. But you have to understand, sin is what breaks fellowship with God. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You are not going to have fellowship with God if there's sin in your life. Sin is what causes us not to get our prayers answered. If I regard iniquity in my heart, what will happen? Lord, will not hear me. So we understand that there are several things that sin causes that breaks fellowship. We don't get answers to prayer. We don't have God's blessing in our life and a host of other things that take place with a sin in our life. But we look at ourselves as, well, I'm not that bad. I go to an independent Baptist church. I, I, I educate my children according to God's will. I, I try to live the, the Christian life. But sometimes we allow things to happen in our life that we don't consider big. But can I just tell you that sin is still sin. And we have to be sensitive to that. I've said often, I don't know who, who coined the phrase, that our sense of sin is in proportion to our nearness to God. The closer I am to God, the more filthy I see that I am. The farther I get away from God, the more I think I'm okay. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter number 19. Let me just quickly run through these tonight with you. In Psalm chapter 19, I'm going to come back to Psalm 38. 
But in Psalm chapter 19, all three types of sins are mentioned in two verses. All right, I want you to notice them. Again, the psalmist was, uh, that is here is David, Psalm chapter 19. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for time's sake tonight, but Psalm chapter 19, let's pick it up in verse number, uh, uh, verse number 12. Who can understand his, what's the word? Errors. Cleanse thou me from what? Secret faults. And then keep back thy servant also from what? Presumptuous sins. All right, so David names all three types of sins. Now, I'm going back to Psalm chapter number 38 tonight, and I'm going to finish there in this idea of I'm ready to halt. But you have to understand that it's not just the sin of adultery, because in David's life, that was a secret sin. Now, there are three types of sins. You've heard me talk about them before. The sins of errors, the sins of secret sins, the sins of presumptuous sins. All of us need to be careful that we don't have any sin in our life that would keep God's blessing upon our life. Now, the sins of errors. Those are mentioned in the Old Testament as sins of ignorance. Now, I've met people before that are satisfied with their Christian life and they think everything is fine. And it's just because they haven't grown enough in their faith to understand, oh, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. All right. I was traveling in Topeka when I had first come to Heritage 25 years ago. I was going down a four-lane highway and I was going 45 miles an hour on a four-lane road in Topeka. Now, where I'm from in Chicago, if you're on a four-lane road, you're clicking along, okay? But the, I was going 45 miles an hour, and the police officer was standing on the side and was using his gun to find out how fast I was going, and then walked out in front, in front of me while I'm driving in the road and was holding a stop sign for me to go over, all right? I can't tell you how much my flesh said, this is the time to pray, close your eyes, run him over, he won't notice it. <laughs> but... I'm thinking, four-lane road, what in the world? So I pull over, and he says, he says, sir, do you know how fast you're going? I said, yes, sir, I was going 45 miles an hour. He said, well, this is a 35-mile-hour road. And I said, well, I didn't know that. He said, well, I'm going to give you a ticket, and you'll know next time. <laughs> and he gave me a ticket. He just didn't know my name was Scott Hanks. That was his problem. <laughs> now, can I just tell you that... I was still doing wrong by going 45 miles an hour because the speed limit was 35 because ignorance is no excuse. And I want to just tell you, sometimes we as Christians, we excuse in our life of the things that we're doing wrong and we say to ourselves, well, I didn't know that. And God says, I gave you the rule book. It's your obligation to read it. I want, uh, I want you to just point, I don't know how much time to take tonight, but just go ahead and follow me for just a little bit if you don't mind. Turn over to Luke chapter 12 tonight. Luke chapter 12. Some of these things are just good for us to be reminded of tonight. And uh, so we'll take just a few minutes here. Luke chapter 12, look at verse number 47. Luke chapter 12, this is a parable that God was speaking about the servants. In Luke chapter 12, verse number 47. The Bible says in verse 47, it says, And the servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with, what's the last two words? All right, the guy that was beaten with many stripes, did he know his Lord's will? Yeah, so he, God says, hey, listen, you know what you're supposed to be doing. You didn't do it. You're going to be beaten with many stripes. But look at verse 48. But he, talking about the servant, but he that knew not and to commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with, what's the next two words? Okay, now I want to just tell you that our human logic says, why does the servant get beaten at all if he didn't know? Because I'm just trying to tell you that that's called a sin of ignorance. That's called a sin of errors that God says, just because you doesn't, do not know, doesn't alleviate the punishment for not doing what the law says or what God says in our life. So this, this errors that goes on in our life, it means a mistake. 
It actually means to stray or make a mistake. But this idea of errors, if they were sins of ignorance. I want you to turn over to one other passage tonight, uh, so I can find it quickly enough. Uh, turn over to Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. All right. Stay, stay with me a little bit here. Leviticus chapter 4. And again, I don't, we don't have time to read the chapter tonight. This whole chapter is talking about the children of Israel and sins of ignorance. But look at chapter 4, verse number 2. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through, what's the word? All right, sin through ignorance. Uh, look down in verse number 13. Verse number 13 says, And if the whole congregation of Israel sin through what? Ignorance. Look down in verse number um, uh, 20, I believe it is. Uh, let's see, I'm sorry, verse 22. Verse 22. When a ruler hath sinned and done somewhat through what? Ignorance. Look down in verse number 27. And if any one of the common people sin through what? All right, now, church friend, let's just back up a little bit here, if you don't mind. Uh, so we find out that he's talking to any person, the congregation, a ruler, or the common people. Um, let's see here, if I can just kind of pinpoint some things. Look at verse number um, 14. Talking about sins of ignorance, when the sin, talking about the sin of Israel, through Israel, verse 14. And when the sin which they have sinned against it is known, then the congregation shall offer a young bullock for the sin. All right, so even though it was in ignorance, it was still considered a sin. Uh, look at uh, verse number 28. I'm sorry, verse number 23. This is about the ruler. Or if his, talking about the ruler, if his sin wherein he hath sinned, come to his knowledge, he shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats and a male without blemish. Same thing in verse 28, talking about the common people. And if his sin, which he hath sinned, come to his knowledge, then he shall bring his offering. Now, just remember, if you ever, if you've got questions on sins of ignorance, you really need to read that whole chapter because we don't have time to preach on all of that tonight. But can I just tell you that there are going to be things that we're going to learn. When we raise our children, they go through levels of understanding, okay? Um, oh, Proverbs 10, 13. Uh, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 10, 13. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found. Listen to this. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Now, I don't know about you, that still doesn't make sense. A rod is for the back of the child who's void. The word void means without it's for the, a rod is for the back of the child without understanding. You would think that a rod is for the back of the kid who knew what was wrong and didn't do right. Did you understand that part of discipline in a home is disciplining a child who didn't know so that he knows the next time, I'm not supposed to do that. All right, you're looking at me a little bit strange tonight, but that's a sin of ignorance, and that's what the Bible's teaching us. So the first type of sin that David mentioned in Psalm 19 is sin of ignorance. The second one. Psalm chapter 19, what's the second one he says in, in chapter 19? And we're going back to 38 in just a moment here. Verse number 12 of chapter 19, he says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. So the second thing, the secret faults means crime or offense. This second thing that he talks about here is things that we're doing wrong, but we don't want anybody else to know about. All right. Now, can I just tell you, there are no perfect people inside this auditorium. I know that's a surprise to some of you. But we're, we all have sins in our life and things that we do wrong that we don't want anybody else to know about. I get a kick out of somebody who comes and he's new and they, they come to this church. I've had people that have met me on, he says, I don't think I can join this church. And I say, how come you can't join this church? And they'll tell me it's because the people here, they're a whole lot better than what I am. And I, I just wouldn't fit in. Well, and, then I did, and, then I, and then I start to explain all of your sins to them. And I tell him by name, so-and-so, this is what he does. This guy over here, this is what he does. So you feel just right at home. They're all convicts, all right? So, but I've had people more than once over these years say, I could never be a member of the Heritage Baptist Church because I can't live up to what everybody's living. And I just want you to understand, nobody's living up to anything. We're all sinners. 
We're doing our best to please the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives and with our own personal accountability before God, not before a church or a deacon or anybody else. It's all before God, and we're trying to live that life. There's nobody perfect. But can I just tell you that all of us have secret sins, things that we would not want the rest of the congregation to know about, and those are things in our life that God already knows about them. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure we keep those things confessed before God. So whatever those secret sins might be. Uh, listen, I know, uh, again, just naming a variety. There's people in this auditorium, no doubt, that smoke. There's no doubt people inside this auditorium that drink. There's probably people in this auditorium that go to the movie house. There's people inside this auditorium that you don't dress like you ought to dress outside these walls. You know, by the way, I want to say this real quickly while I'm here. At the school, parent orientation, and I, I want to tell you just like I'm going to tell them, we don't dress one way in the school and one way out. I had somebody that wanted to come to the school this year, and they could not understand why we made uh, um, our children dress uh, like they would dress out. In other words, there's a dress standard, all right? Just do you understand, if we don't have the school, the church, and the home going all the same direction, then we're defeating the purpose, and we're giving us a mixed message to our children. Okay, this is how you dress at church, but this is how you dress at home, and this is how you dress over here. Okay, no, no, wait a second here. God's given us a standard on what's supposed to be covered. Okay, God bless you too. All right, good. All right, now, I just want you to understand that a secret sin could be anything. All right, there's whatever it is in our life that, that it is, we need to make sure that we keep those things confessed. So we, first of all, we have errors. Those are sins of ignorance. We have secret faults. And then the last one he says in verse number 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. All right, presumptuous sins. What are those? That word pr presumptuous means proud or arrogant. That's what it means. These are sins that dominate your life. You're given over to them, and you don't care if anybody else knows about them. All right? And it doesn't bother you. And I want to tell you, that's the most dangerous sin a person can be doing. If you'll just follow the word presumptuous throughout the scripture, you're going to find out that God killed, killed people for that. He killed them. Because you are not going to shake your fist, if you're a child of God, you're not going to shake your fist in, the, in, the, in God and say, God, you don't have rule over me, I'll do whatever I want. You're not going to get away with that. that. That is a presumptuous sin. Korah died because of presumptuous sin. Uzzah died because of a presumptuous sin. You cannot do what you're going to do and just think nothing's going to happen uh, because of it. Now, go, are you with me tonight? Say amen. amen. All of that to talk about David tonight is that David committed a sin. Go back to Psalm 38. David committed a sin, and in Psalm 38, he goes through all, verses 1 through 16, he goes through all of the things that God did to him because of that sin. All right? Physical ailments, <laughs> uh, emotional uh, as far as people being away from him, as far as social. I mean, God hit him in every area of his life because of the sin that he committed. And then he finally comes to verse number 17. I am ready to halt. I'm ready to halt. So listen, if you've got children, especially as your children grow older, when you put your foot down and you put some pressure on them, that sometimes that's what it takes to get them to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Have you ever had a child that you reproved them and it didn't take? Hey, I don't want you doing that. And sure enough, the next week, they do the same exact thing again. And you say to them, you say to them hey, listen, I told you I don't want you to do that. This is the last time I warned you, don't ever do that again. And then they do it again. And then he's okay, go to my room. Time for powwow. Put your hands on the bed. You're getting a spanking. And you spank that child. Isn't it amazing how all of a sudden, I, you know what, I think I'm going to listen to mom and dad. Can I tell you that God does the same thing in our life when he has to discipline us, just like he did to David. God put so much pressure on David that David, as the psalmist says, I'm ready, I'm done, I give up, I'm ready to halt. 
Hey, listen, church family, I don't know what your sins are, but I'm telling you as your pastor, because nobody else is judge and jury except for God himself. But you're hurting yourself. David brought upon himself soreness and lack of strength and friends to, and lovers to run away from him and being broken and all the different things that he mentions in verses 1 through 16 happened because of what he did. Now, tonight, I want you to see last of all, and, and again, just I want you to show you the end of it, is that as soon as David said he was ready to halt, he made three statements. All right, we quickly just point those three statements and, and uh, we'll be done tonight. But look at verse 17. For I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. Statement number one, verse number 18, for I will declare my iniquity. Statement number two, verse number 18, I will be sorry for my sin. Statement number three, last phrase, verse number 20, I, I follow the thing that good is. Now, can I just briefly make some statements about those three, those three statements that David made? Because when I want to tell you, when you come to the place where you're sick and tired of your secret sin grieving you, I don't know about you, but I want to tell you something. Okay, nobody else might know about it, but if you're a Christian and you're trying to do right and you're doing things that your flesh wants and your fleshly gratification has control over your life, you're not happy. It grieves you. The Jabez prayer, it says, Bless me indeed, enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, that thou, and, and thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. You know, there's a certain amount, if you're a child of God, I don't know about you, but if you have a good relationship with your parents, as far as a young person, if you've got a good relationship with your parents and you're not doing right behind their back, it grieves you that you're a fake and a phony to your mom and dad. There's a grief there. Can I tell you, it's the same thing as a child of God. When you're not doing right, it bothers you inside. Oh, and God, it's not like you're hiding anything from God. He already knows. But you're doing it because you know that nobody else knows. So here's what David said. I'm ready to halt. And the first thing I'm going to do is this. I'm going to declare my iniquity. In other words, I'm going to say what it is. I'm going to point it out. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. You know, you don't need a preacher to come up to you and say, hey, listen, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need. You don't need that. You're saved. You have the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you that convicts us of sin. Isaiah 59, verse number two, as for our iniquities, we know them. We're not, this is not guesswork. Listen to me tonight. Every person in your mind right now, you know what you're dealing with in your life that's not right. You know what it is. Every morning that I get up and I pray, and I pray the motto prayer and I come to that part, forgive us our, forgive us our trespasses, Forgive us our trespasses, we forgive our trespasses. Am I saying that correctly? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. Give us this day our day, the way forgive us our Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It took me a minute, I got it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every day of my life, every day of my life, I know what I'm dealing with. Now, you don't know what I'm dealing with, and I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know you're dealing. Every morning you get up and say, God, I need your help today, and I just need to make sure, would you please help me to be free of that debt between others and help me be free of that debt between you. God, forgive me of this, 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 and this. Forgive me for what I said yesterday, did yesterday. God, would you please forgive me of those things? Because you know what you deal with. If I was to ask you right now, what one thing, or let's start, start it this way, what one thing do you like to drink as far as, I'm talking about a soda or a tea or 
or whatever, if coffee, all right? All right, all of you know what you enjoy that your taste enjoys. Can I tell you that you have a fleshly taste also? When we talk about fleshly gratification, you have a physical gratification, you have a fleshly gratification, all right? And I'm not saying coffee's wrong, but how many coffee drinkers in here? You like coffee? I know I give you a hard time, but you like coffee? All right, I've never developed a taste for coffee. David, you don't drink coffee either, do you? All right. When, we were, when I was growing up, mom and dad drank coffee every morning, it seemed, and they drank it all the time. So when, and I asked them, I said, mom and dad, when did you start drinking coffee? Mom and dad said they drank coffee, started drinking coffee when they were in college. The coffee was to keep them awake so they could try to get through everything. So I determined that when I went to college, I would never drink coffee, and I never did. I have no desire to drink coffee. It's like alcohol. <laughs> no desire. It's gone. Now, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. But it, let's say coffee is your thing and you like coffee. And there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee. Drink coffee until you want, until, you know, all you want. It won't matter. But there's some of you, you really drink coffee. How many of you, you would say you're a coffee addict? You love coffee, all right? Any of you like that, love coffee? How many drink at least three cups a day? Raise your hand, three cups a day. How many drink four cups a day? How many drink five cups of coffee a day? Mrs. Salmarone, there's a place at the altar for you tonight. <laughs> all right. How many, drink more, how many drink seven cups of coffee, eight cups of coffee, ten? Anybody drink ten cups of coffee in here? All right. Some of you were up to eight cups of coffee. That's a lot of coffee, man. Now, can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee. How many of you like to put cream and sugar in your coffee? All right. All right. Le lemon? Is that what you said? Right. Brother Franklin said brandy in his coffee. Um, um, hey, everybody has a different taste, and so if coffee is your thing, you enjoy that. You, whatever it is, that you enjoy that for some of you. How, how many soda is your thing? You love soda? All right. How many Mountain Dew people raise your hand? Amen. How many Pepsi people? How many Coke people? How many is a diet soda type person? Diet soda? There's several diet soda people in here. Okay, so you, you, you drink those things. I, my kick now has been for years now is sweet tea. I, for whatever reason, I like sweet tea right now. And so I drink that. And I have justified in my mind that sweet tea is so much better for you than soda. Amen. All right. All right. I know it's not true, but hey, it, it makes me feel good. I went to a restaurant the other day and said, hey, listen, I want a Coke, but I said, I want you to make sure you put half Coke and half Diet Coke. And she looked at me funny, and I said, hey, it just helps me think that I'm dieting. Just put it in there, all right? So, but there's a taste that, I, that draws us to whatever that drink is. Now, I want to tell you something. You have a taste. It's called your fleshly desire that you enjoy things that you know is not good for you as a Christian, and you know you shouldn't do them. Those are called secret sins. There has to come to a time in your life where you say, I'm ready to halt. I'm not going to allow this thing to control me. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 27? Um, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I, I myself should be a castaway. When he says, I bring under my body, when you look it up in the Greek, it means to beat black and blue. In other words, Paul said, my flesh and I, we're in a battle and we're fist fighting this thing out. But I'm going to get the battle because I can't tell somebody else to do right and me live wrong. So David here says, I came to a place in my life that I'm ready to halt, whether it was a secret sin, whether it was a sin of ignorance, and again, the presumptuous sin. It doesn't matter what kind of sin. He says, I'm going to declare what it is in my life. I'm not going to play like it doesn't exist. It does exist in my life. If you're a young person in here, <clears throat> there are sins that you're going to deal with in your life, just like old people do, older people deal with sins in their life. But if you just look at the book of Proverbs, what are the main sins in the book of Proverbs that's mentioned over and over and over? Immorality, talking about a strange woman. 
wine, alcohol. That's something you're going to deal with in your life. Laziness. He spends several verses and chapters talking about the person who's in bed all the time and he doesn't get the victory over drowsiness. He doesn't go and work. There's things that are mentioned and spelled out that you're going to be dealing with in your life. Let's not just say, oh, there's nothing wrong with my life. Let's declare our iniquity. And I don't, I'm not one of these people that you think you should be telling your sins to everybody else because those everybody else always bring them back up. That's the best advice you probably got tonight. I would not be telling your sins to everybody. You only talk to people who's part of the problem or solution to the problem. You don't be going to, when the Bible says confess your faults one to another, he's not talking about all your sins in your life. He's talking about when you faulted somebody, you confess that fault to that person. So the first thing I see is David says, I'm going to declare my, sin, my iniquity. Second thing, in verse number, uh, Psalm 38, verse number 18, first I will declare my iniquity. Second of all, I will be sorry for my sin. I will be sorry for my sin. <clears throat> David is here tonight. And David, I don't remember the story because I've told the church family this on multiple occasions. But David and I, and maybe half the service, he'll remember what it is. He's got a better memory than I do. But Dave, David and I got into a fight. We were mess, not messing around. We were fighting. And um, my father calls both of us into my father's room, into his room. And whenever you got called to dad's room, it was only for one reason. He just wanted to say, I love you. <laughs> and so dad says, says, Scott, you tell your brother you're sorry. And I was so mad that I looked at my brother and said, you're sorry. <laughs> well, that, let me back up. My dad spanked me. And then he said, tell your brother you're sorry. But I was, my will wasn't broken. I was still upset. I just looked at my brother and said, you're sorry. And he said, Scott, put your hands back on the bed. And he spanked me again, the audacity that he had. <laughs> That's why he's in heaven right now. That's why he's in heaven. <laughs> he should not have done that to me. I am still scarred. <laughs> he spanked me again the second time. And then he looked at me and said, you tell your brother you're sorry. Well, I knew it was coming if I said it that way again. I said, I'm sorry. Now, we as Christians, we do the same thing with God. God says that if you're sinning, then you should be sorry for your sin. It shouldn't be, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all these sins. Amen. Okay, wait a second here. You didn't commit your sins generally. You committed your sins specifically. You confessed your sins specifically, and you're sorry for those sins specifically. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lied. God, I'm sorry, I was critical of that person. God, I'm sorry, I've got a beam in my own eye and I'm trying to get the mote out of everybody else's eye. I'm sorry. I, I want you to look at one, one passage on this thing, what godly sorrow is mentioned. And, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm gonna hustle, I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look what he says about sor godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 11. While you're turning there, verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. Verse number 11, for behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. All right, 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 11. So what is sorrow after a godly sort? Look what he says, verse 11. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What is that? Here's what godly sorrow or sorrow after godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. That word careful means to worry or be anxious about what I did. Yea, what clearing of yourself. In other words, it wasn't just a general, specifically. Yea, what indignation. In other words, I'm mad, upset about what I did. Yea, what fear. Obviously, the punishment of God. I don't want God to discipline me. Yea, what vehement desire. 
In other words, I want this thing right with God. There's a desire to get right. Yea, what zeal, that means with passion or heat. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Can I just tell you, we're not getting, our, we're not getting clear in our sins because we're not sorry for what we've done. You know, we talk about the Christian life, that we're not supposed to go through the Christian life and just do vain repetition, but I think we do a lot of vain repetition. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. We're not sorry. We're not sorry for what we've done. Have you ever had somebody that you loved, a family member, that said they were sorry, but you knew you weren't th they weren't sorry? And what do you say? You're not sorry. Because you know they're not sorry. Well, can I just tell you something? If you've got a family member that you love and you can look at them in the eye and you know they're not sorry, how much more does God who can see your heart? Hell and destruction before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men? If God can see hell, he can see your heart. Last of all, here's what he says, and I'm done. <clears throat> David says, I'm ready to halt in Psalm 38. And after he said, I'm ready to halt, he said, I'll declare my iniquity. I'll be sorry for my sin. Verse number 20. Of Psalm 38, here's what he says. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. If you truly are sorry for your sin, you're going to go the other direction. Watch now. I believe with all my heart, Proverbs 24, 16. For a just man falleth, how many times? A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The word seven doesn't mean I get to seven and I'm done. The word seven is a number of completion. All that means I fall down, I get back up. I fall down, I get back up. It's a cycle, the number of completion, seven days in a week. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we come back to Sunday. So what's he trying to say? When a just man falls down, he gets back up. Listen to me, Christian. If you mess up, you ask God's forgiveness, you get right. If, I confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what kind? All. God forgives us and thank God for that. But can I tell you, here's what a lot of people do. They're going the wrong direction. They're not doing that which is right. But, you know, they're in church. They hear preaching. Sometimes they read their Bible. And they know that secret sin is there or even a sign of ignorance. Hopefully it's not presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin, you don't care. But you're going through life. And what, God, please forgive me of this sin. Next day, God, please forgive me of this sin. Next day, God, forgive me of this sin. You know what's supposed to happen if you're really sorry for your sin? God, please forgive me of this sin. You're going to follow the thing that good is, not the thing that bad is. You know, you, just remember, you remember how many times I've told you this? You know, uh, David, it's good to see him. I'm glad my brother's with me tonight. But uh, food at our house has always been a topic, and you know. Somebody, uh, John, uh, the last time John was here, Bailey's uh, uh, fiance. The last time John was here, he says, Pastor, I've been in the last two or three services, and you always use food to illustrate. I said, yeah, it's easy to illustrate with food. I like food. I think he might have been here with the time I did the Sunday and whatever else I was doing. But, you know, food is just tough for me. All right? I mean, I deal with food all the time. You all don't, but I do. I like to eat. Dad gave us a healthy appetite. If there's one thing, he gave us a healthy appetite. And, you know, some of you guys are health nuts, and, and God bless you. And, um, but, but you know what? If I ate whatever I wanted to eat, I'd be 500 pounds, okay? And so I have to, and I'm not, believe me, I'm the poorest example of self-control, 
because I do eat a lot of things I shouldn't eat. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, it's, I, have a, I just love sweets. I love chocolate and ice cream, and I love pie, and I love cake, and uh, let's have the invitation. I'm hungry, and uh, I haven't had supper yet, and trying to decide I'm going to have pizza afterwards, and you know, just, you know, I just think of food. So I go through times in my life that I have to say, okay, listen, uh, I don't want that type of food in the house. Uh, I don't, there's no sense having the sodas. I don't want the sodas there. You know, today, I, you know, my wife and I, we've shared drinks, I think, since we've been married. Some people still don't, you know, you don't do that. But, you know, my wife and I, we've shared drinks. So, you know, she's got a Mountain Dew in front of her, and I have my sweet tea in front of me. And I take a drink of my sweet tea, and then I take a drink of her Mountain Dew. I take a drink of her sweet tea, and I take a drink of her Mountain Dew. I, I did that until I emptied her Mountain Dew, okay? Hey, this is part of it. We're one flesh. Leave me alone. So, so when I get to a place where I say, okay, I, I don't want to do this anymore, I get things out of the house that's going to tempt me. So here, whatever your temptation is, not food, it's something else, you don't have a problem with keeping it in your house. I'm talking about around you or near you. No matter what it is, and I'm just trying to tell you, when you come to a place where you finally say, I'm ready to halt, then you're going to follow the thing that's good and not that which is bad. You're going to get rid of it. I love the promise in Scripture, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. But what? But will the temptation, what? Also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. No perfect Christians, but there ought to be Christians who strive for perfection. And I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but there should be some Christian in here that's striving for spiritual maturity in their life. And spiritual maturity comes from, I'm ready to halt. I'm not willing to keep going this direction. I'm not willing to sacrifice my prayer life. I'm not willing to sacrifice God's blessing. I'm not willing to sacrifice fellowship with God because I'm not going to let sin dominate my life, whether it's a sin of ignorance, whether it is a secret sin, or whether it's a presumptuous, I'm not willing to do that. I'm ready to halt. And you know the only person who can make that decision is you. That's it. You. But I promise you, if you come like David and say, I'm ready to halt, that's when you get God's blessing. God opens the door, answers your prayers. So much comes along with just saying, okay, I'm not going to let sin have control of my life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes tonight?